How many's ready to get in the Word tonight? This is our last point session. And you'll recall that uh, our point sessions, we deal with certain theological topics. Uh, we dealt with um, marriage, divorce, remarriage. We dealt with blaspheming against the Holy Spirit. We've dealt with, uh, what's another topic that we've dealt with? Y'all remember? So the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. We've dealt with marriage, divorce, and remarriage. Oh, is all sin equal? We've dealt with that. Those are three topics that we've dealt with. And then we had VBS, of course, we didn't have uh, last week. And so this ends our last point session. And next Wednesday starts our growth point for eight weeks. And so we encourage you as you exit to sign up for a class. So how many is ready for the word tonight? Are y'all tired? How many's tired? Raise your hand. All right. How many's just being really honest? You're just here by faith. Well, open. Sometimes when you're the tiredest and you don't feel like uh, you can uh, contribute anything, I just encourage you that sometimes that's your greatest act of sacrifice, right? And so just open your heart and be receptive tonight. And uh, your body may be tired, but your ears still work, so you can turn on your ears, your heart, and listen. And I, the Word of God will bring strength to you, and it will bring encouragement to your spirit and your soul tonight. So thank you for being here. In our last point session, our very last point session tonight, I'm going to deal with something practical, all right? Uh, I think that we all deal with it at times. I'm not going to deal with a theological issue, uh, because I feel like that I hit uh, hard issues for three or four weeks here. And so tonight, I'm going to go easy on you. Is that all right? And so, uh, so I do want you to pay attention to what I have to say because I think this is valid for your Christian life. And tonight, I'm going to deal with uh, practical Christian living. It's practical Christian living, but I'm going to deal with a subject called false assumptions. False assumptions. And so we're dealing with people making false assumptions and uh, acting upon false assumptions. And so we're going to see a story how somebody almost got in a fight over false assumptions. And I promise you, people will get in an argument if they assume something that's not true. How many could testify to that? How many's ever been seen it in your own personal life, people making assumptions and you know it's not true? Raise your hand. And it causes situations and causes conflict. One of the things that we can all agree on tonight is that we all face conflict. All of us face conflict. It's, a, it's an issue that we all face with. And there is no such thing as, um, you know, doing away with conflict. There's just conflict management. You know, conflict is good most of the time. I want you to turn to Joshua chapter 22, and I want you to see a story that normally is not preached about. You normally don't hear this story often at all. But this story has great truth to it. So you ready? Joshua chapter 22, beginning with verse number 10. Joshua chapter 22, verse number 10. And listen to this story. Joshua chapter 22, beginning with verse number 10, as we look at the story of Joshua and the 12 tribes of Israel. Verse number 10. And when they came to the region of the Jordan, which is in the land of Canaan, the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, the half-tribe of Manasseh, built an altar there by the Jordan, a great impressive altar. Now the children of Israel heard someone say, 
Everybody say that word. They heard someone say. Say it again. They heard someone say, Behold, the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh build an altar on the frontier of the land of Canaan in the region of Jordan on the children of Israel's side. And when the children of Israel heard of it, the whole congregation of the children of Israel gathered together at Shiloh to go war against them. Now I want you to go to verse number 16. We're going to skip through this chapter because we don't have time to read all of it. Verse 16. Thus says the whole congregation of the Lord, what an unfaithful act this is to you that you have committed against God, the God of Israel, to turn away this day from following the Lord in that you have built yourself an altar that ye may rebel this day against the Lord. Look at verse 19. Nevertheless, if the land of your possession is unclean, then cross over to the land of your possession of the Lord where the Lord's tabernacle stands and take possession among us. But do not rebel against the Lord nor rebel against us by building yourself an altar besides the Lord, besides the Lord or the altar of the Lord our God. And uh, Lord, we just pray your blessing upon this word tonight. Open our ears and our hearts to receive your word. We won't fail to praise you for it. And everyone shouted a great big amen. You know, you know, if you know anything about the Old Testament, you know that Israel, who was Jacob at one time, had 12 sons. Everyone say 12 sons. Those 12 sons are known as the children of Israel. Is that correct? The children of Israel are the 12 tribes of Jacob or the 12 tribes of Israel. Those 12 tribes you'll see in Scripture was, um, was led by Joshua after Moses into the promised land. So you have 12 tribes. Those 12 tribes are known as the children of Israel. It's God's people, God's Hebrew people, God's anointed people, God's people where God gave a promise to that they're going to take possession of a land. And so those 12 tribes, the promise was given to. And I want you to notice something in this particular story tonight in Joshua chapter 22. If you read very closely, these 12 tribes... They were split. You had nine and a half tribes versus two and a half tribes. Right? Now get the story. Look at verse number 10. Joshua chapter 22, verse 10. Look at it. Joshua chapter 22, verse number 10. And when they came to the region of Jordan, which is in the, which is in the land of Canaan, the children of Reuben, that's one tribe, the children of Agad, that's another tribe, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. So you have two and a half tribes on one side of the Jordan River and you have nine and a half tribes on the other side. Now don't lose me. How many tribes is there from Israel? You have two and a half tribes on one side of the Jordan. You have the other nine and a half on the other side. Jordan is, is, is what separated the promised land. So in the promised land, you had nine and a half tribes. On the other side of the promised land, how many did you have? Two and a half. You had the tribe of Reuben, you had the tribe of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. So you have, you have, the tribes are split here. Is that correct? How many would agree with Pastor Josh that the tribes are split? Raise your hand. Some on this side of the Jordan, and some on this side. Now, 
If I had time tonight, I would read you the whole story, but this is what happens. This couple tribes over here, guess what they do? They build an altar. The Bible says they build an oppressive altar. I mean, it's a huge altar. Now, someone said, started talking, these tribes over here, the nine and a half tribes over here, heard about what they're doing on the other side of the river. And they got upset. These nine tribes said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to go to war against these two and a half tribes because they built an altar. Now, why would they go to war against them? They're going to war against them because these over here, these nine and a half tribes, thought to themselves, they made an assumption that these tribes over here was building an altar to a foreign god or to a false god. And so that is why these tribes said, you know what, we're going to go to war. As a matter of fact, we're going to go over there and get them in shape. How dare them make an altar to a foreign god or to a false god, to a pagan god, when God just brought us out of the land of bondage and gave us this new land. It's your choice that you don't want to go to Canaan. You can stay right there, but do not build an altar to a false god. And that is why these nine and a half tribes were like, listen, we're going to go declare war on these tribes who are forsaking the true God. So get what happens here. There's 12 tribes. You have them split. You got nine and some tribes over here. You got two and a half tribes over here. These two and a half tribes build an altar. It's so big. The Bible says it's impressive. But you read the chapter. The Bible then says these nine tribes are going to go over here and declare war because they assume... They were building an altar to a pagan god. That's why they were going to go to a war against them. They were frustrated. How dare you build an altar to a pagan god after God has done so much for us, been so merciful to us, brought us out, delivered us, and kept us? How can you do that? Somebody started talking and saying, I know what they're doing. They're building an altar to a pagan god. And that is what you get in the story. You have a story here with tribes fighting against each other. Can you imagine them fighting against They're of the same blood. They're of the same family and they're fighting. How many know these families fight? Here are families fighting one another. As a matter of fact, they're going to declare war because they were under false assumption that the tribe of Reuben, the tribe of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh was building an oppressive altar to a pagan god. And if you read the story, ladies and gentlemen, that's not what they were doing at all. They wasn't building an altar to a pagan god. They were actually building an altar which was a memorial to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob because they wanted their children's children to know that it was God's mercy and grace that brought them out of the land of bondage. But these nine tribes got upset and assumed that they are building an altar to a pagan god. Now why? Why? Why was there this assumption? Because really, if you read the chapters before that, they wasn't allowed to build an altar. They was going to build an altar in Canaan where the tabernacle is. But these tribes over here, they were like, no, we're not building an altar, we're building a memorial. A memorial to, to testify of God's goodness. We're not sacrificing our children on this altar. 
We're not sacrificing to false gods. It's just a memorial to God. And the other nine tribes jumped the gun and accused them of building an altar to a pagan god. And that's not what they were doing. How quickly, how quickly are we to assume things that's not true? How quickly are we to assume things that's not right and not true? How quickly are we to assume things when we don't got all the information? You should never assume things until you got all the facts. And how many of us make a lot of assumptions about a whole lot of people that when the facts come out, you, you, it's not true? And that this story tells us that assuming can get you in a lot of trouble. And you know what assuming will get you into? It will make you declare war on your brother and sister when you have no right to declare war on them. Those nine tribes wanted to declare war on the two tribes because they were assuming they were building an altar to a pagan god. They assumed something that's not true. And that's exactly what happens in our life when we don't got the facts straight, when we don't, we don't adhere to the facts, and we start assuming things of people that's not true. We automatically want to declare war on people. And I want to give you some practical advice tonight to help you not to declare war on people unless you got your facts straight. Can I hear an amen up in here? So this story tells us you should never do that. Now, can I tell you this, the rest of the story? So, so these two tribes and a half, if I leave the half out, you'll, you know what I'm talking about. These two tribes here went to the nine tribes and said, hold on, hold on here, my brothers. We're not building a false altar. You are assuming something that's not true. Look at what they said. Look at verse 21. Look, look at the response. Don't lose me. Joshua 22, verse 21. Look at the response here. Then the children of Reuben, okay, the children of Gad, the half-tribe of Manasseh, answered and said to the heads of the division of Israel, verse 22, the Lord God of gods. This is their response. The Lord God of gods, the Lord, uh, the, the Lord God of gods, He knows and let Israel itself know if it is rebellion or if it is unfaithful against the Lord, do not save us this day. If we build ourselves an altar to turn from, the, from following the Lord or to offer it burnt offerings or grain offerings or to offer peace offerings on it, let the Lord himself require an account. You see what they're saying? These two tribes saying, listen, if we are rebelling against God, then let God hold us to account. Let God judge us if we're unfaithful. Look at what they said, verse 24. But in fact, we have done it. You see that? In fact, verse number 24. But in fact, we have done it for fear, for a reason, saying, in the time to come, your descendants may speak to our descendants, saying, what have you to do with the Lord God of Israel? For the Lord has made the Jordan a border between you and us, your children of Reuben and the children of Gad. You have no part in the Lord, so that your descendants would make our descendants cease from fear in the Lord. You know what they're saying? You all need to cool off here. You're making assumptions that's not true. All we're trying to do is to build a memorial so our children's children will know that all 12 of the tribes Worship the same God. You see what he's saying here? He's like, dude, you need to cool off here. 
you're making assumptions that's not true. We're just building an altar to testify to future generations that we worship the same God. Verse number 26. Therefore, we said, let us now prepare to build ourselves an altar, not for burnt offerings, nor for sacrifice, but that it may be a witness between you and us and our generations after us that we may perform the service of the Lord before Him with burnt offerings, with our sacrifices, and with our peace offering that your descendants may not say to our descendants in the time to come, you have no part in the Lord. Therefore, we said that it will be when they say this to us or to our generation in the time to come that we may say, here is the replica of the altar of the Lord which our fathers made, though not for burnt offerings nor for sacrifice, but a witness between you and us. Far be it from us that we should rebel against the Lord and turn from following the Lord this day to build an altar on a burnt offering for grain offerings or for sacrifices uh, on the altar of the Lord our God, which is before His tabernacle. You see what these people are saying? These two tribes over here are saying, you are jumping the gun. We're not building an altar to a foreign god. We are building an altar because it's a memorial that we all worship the same God. But these nine tribes over here was accusing them of something that's not true. And do you see their defense here? You're jumping the gun. We're not doing that. And I want you to see the answer. Look at it. Verse number 33. Joshua 22, verse 33. Look at it. Now they solved the issue. Verse number 33. So the thing pleased the children of Israel. And the children of Israel blessed God. They spoke no more of going against them in battle to destroy the land where the children of Reuben and Gad dwelt. They solved the issue. So what are you saying, Pastor Josh? I hope you understand the story. You have two and a half tribes on one side of the river. You have nine and a half tribes on the other side of the river. And the nine and a half tribes got upset and assumed that these tribes over here are worshiping a pagan god. They're building a memorial to themselves. And all they were doing was building a memorial to God to declare to future generations that they worship the same God. And the problem in the story was, was those nine tribes jumped the gun and assume something that's not true. And how many of us in our life assume things that's not true, and we have broken down relationships, we fight with our family members, we get mad at our family members, we don't speak to our family members, because all the same time we're assuming something that may not be true, and there is not communication between the two parties. The only reason that this was brought to a head was because they decided to communicate about it. But how many of our families are like this? We stay on our side, and they stay on our si their side. We don't talk. We don't even look at each other. We don't go to family reunions. You stay on your side, I stay on my side, and both sides are assuming something that may not even be true. And that's, that is a picture of really relationships in the church world. Churches act that way. Churches against churches because we assume something without knowing the facts. Relationships are broken down. Marriages are broken down because we assume things that's not true. We don't have the facts. And this story clearly demonstrates to us that that tribe was going to go to war with the other tribe because they assumed something that's not true. How? Why is this important? Well, if you're going to 
if you're going to safeguard against false assumptions, number one, you've got to do this. Okay? This helps you. Number one, you always got to ask questions in humility with a desire for clarity and not accusation. Number one, you always got to ask questions in humility with a desire for clarification and not accusation. How many has ever had somebody ask you a question, but in the question there is accusation? Y'all getting what I'm saying here? Always ask questions in humility with a desire to clarify and not with accusation? How many's ever had somebody ask you a question, but the question was accusatory, but it was in the form of a question? Like, quote, who cooked? You know what you're saying? You're asking a question, but you're, you're accusing somebody of not cooking good. Or you ask the question, who was that on the phone? What you're saying is, you're doing something you shouldn't be doing. You didn't want to know who's on the phone. You see, how many of us ask accusatory questions? We don't want the facts. We don't want clarity. We just want to accuse somebody in the form of a question. Are you all out there? Whose potato salad is this? <laughs> you know, you know it's, it's, it's sister so-and-so. Well, you know you don't like sister so-and-so's potato salad, but you know, you're making a point. You know? So, how many of us ask questions in humility with a desire for clarification and not to accuse somebody? Number two, if you really want to safeguard against false assumptions, number two, you've got to seek to understand before you seek to be understood. Okay? Before you want somebody to understand you, you've got to seek to be understood. Seek to understand the situation. Let me say it like that. Seek to understand the situation before you seek to be understood. And sometimes in a conversation, we want people to understand us, but we don't want to understand the situation. And in this story... That's why there was conflict. Two tribes thinking of the same thing and they, was, they were assuming something that wasn't true. And if you're going to resolve things in your life, you've got to seek to understand something before you seek to be understood. So understand the situation before you seek to be understood and before you bring your point across. What we like to do in conversations, we like to give people a piece of our mind and make sure people understand where we stand without us understanding the situation. Understand the situation before you seek to be understood. It really does clarify a lot of hell that we go through. It's very selfish for you to seek to be understood before you understand the situation. If you're all about your point, and you're all about being heard, and all about being understood, and never understanding the context of the situation, it's very narrow-minded and very selfish. Number three, Understanding resolves conflict and strips away frustration. The reason that people are frustrated is because people don't understand things. How many has ever heard somebody say, well, I, I don't understand why they did that. I mean, you know, I don't, it was good the way we used to do it. I just don't understand. You know, they're frustrated because they don't understand. And a lot of people don't want to understand. That's why you're frustrated. Because you don't want to understand anything. You, you are all about your point of view. 
Are you all out there? Is this all right on Wednesday night? Wave your hand and let me know you're alive and well. And is this all right? Is this hitting, is this hitting somewhere tonight? All right, so you've got to understand, understanding communication is not what's being said. Communication is what's being understood. So you can communicate all day, but that doesn't mean everybody understands you. Communication is what's being understood. Communication is what's being understood. Number four, whenever people don't understand, they are against. Listen, I've pastored for 15 years, and boy, this is true. People are against a lot of things. Well, they're against because they don't take time to understand. If they really understood, really listened and understood, they wouldn't be frustrated or against it. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 7. Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 7. Look at what Proverbs said. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 7. And I want you to see what the... The writer says here, wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And in all you're getting, get understanding. Now stop here. Understanding something resolves conflict. So the writer says, what you need to do with everything you're getting, you've got to make sure you get understanding. Let's say this verse together. You ready? Everybody say it loud and clear with me on the count of three. One, two, three. Wisdom So in all you're getting, make sure you understand. You know, the parables of Jesus, one of the things He accused the Pharisees and Sadducees of is they didn't understand, they didn't hear. They had ears, but they didn't hear. They had eyes, but they couldn't see. They didn't understand. They didn't understand. So in all you're getting, make sure you get understanding. Make sure you understand things. Number five. Isn't interesting number five to help us resolve conflict Help us resolve false assumptions. Number five, number five, we judge others based on their actions, and yet we judge ourselves based on our intentions. I'll let that soak in real quick. Can we read it together? Can we all read it together? Ready? One, two, three. We. How true is that? I can't believe he's a low down, dirty dog. I can't believe he did that. He should be ashamed of himself. How dare him act like that? And then, when somebody judge you, what do you say? It just wasn't my heart. They should just know my heart. It wasn't my heart. I, I didn't mean it. So, you want people to judge you based on your heart, and yet you judge people based on their actions. Sometimes I'm just going to be silent. You know, I like to marinate. Just let that just marinate down in your soul. Let it just get down in you. We judge others based on their actions. Yet, you judge yourself based on your heart. Alright, we'll just go on. Number six, you got to learn, number six, you got to learn that you've got to build 
altars in your life and not idols in your life. What do you mean? It's a daily process to build altars. It's a daily process. An altar is a place where we meet God. It's a place where we lay down ourselves. And yet, if we're not careful, we can produce more idols in our life than we produce altars in our life. What are you producing in your life? Are you producing more altars? A time of worship, a time of reflection, a time to meet God, a time to dedicate yourself to God, or are you building more idols in your life? You know, idols is things that we worship, things that we exalt, things that we declare to be true, but if we're not careful, we will build more idols than altars in our life. John Calvin said that the great reformer of the church said, man is a factory that produces idols. That's so true. We're, we, we constantly produce idols. Idols of sex. Idols of, of attitudes. Idols of self-ego. Idols of pride. Idols of attitudes. And we would never bow down to a statue. You would think that's repulsive. If I ask you to bow down to a statue, but most of us in this room bow down to our opinions and ideas and theologies. That's why there's false assumptions. Because we worship our opinion. We worship our way. And sometimes in life, you've got to make a decision that my life, I'm constantly building altars in my life. I'm not building idols in my life. My idol could be wrong. My way of thinking really could be wrong. And just because you think it doesn't mean it's true. Amen? And just because you're offended doesn't mean you're right. Is that right? How many has ever met somebody that's offended? Immediately they think they're right. They're right about it. But just because you're offended don't mean you're right. Is this all right? Number seven. All right, number seven. Your outer world follows your inner world. Your outer world follows your inner world. Whatever's happening on the inside, eventually it's going to be carried on the outer world. You see, what are you doing? What are you doing in your life? What kind of idols are you building? Are you building altars or idols? So let's just review because there's something else I want to bring out before we go tonight. False assumptions. You got a number one. Number one, you gotta always ask questions in humility with a desire for clarification and not accusation. Number two, you gotta to seek to understand before you seek to be understood. Number three, you've got to understanding resolves conflict and strips away frustration. Number four, whatever people don't understand, they're immediately against. We gotta help people understand. You know, it's just like the baptism of the Holy Spirit speaking in tongues. Why is there some people against it? They don't understand it. Why is people against certain things of the Bible? They don't understand it. So when you don't understand something, you're against it. So understanding with all you're getting, the Bible says, get understanding. Verse number 5, we judge others based on their actions, but when it comes to ourselves, we want people to judge our hearts. Number seven, we got, number six, we got to learn to build altars and not idols in our life. And number seven, you got to realize that the outer world really does follow what happens on the inside. 
And how is this going to be cultivated in your life? How is this going to be cultivated? You say, well, pastor, there's always false assumptions, there's conflict. That's going to happen. These are principles that I've given you that you can use in your life. Listen, I've got to remind myself of these principles, and I'm certainly not targeting anybody particular tonight, so I don't want you to think that. This comes out of my own devotional time, my own prayer time. And when you understand these principles, they, they don't resolve all conflict, but it helps you understand conflict. Does that make sense? Life will never be full of conflict. Life is never going to be perfect. There's going to be hurts. There's going to be misunderstandings. There's going to be things you never will understand. But these principles help us to cultivate an attitude in our heart and in our life to understand. We seek to understand before we seek to be understood. All right? So it helps us. It doesn't resolve everything, but it sure does help us. If you go to Exodus chapter 33, I want to share a principle with you before we go tonight. And I believe to follow the last principle that I just read to you, that your, your outer world follows your inner world. And that is key in cultivating an attitude that pleases God is that you've got to take care of that inner world. There is an inner world before there's an outward world. Okay, And how do I do that? Well, I think that Moses gives us a great, great description on how to cultivate that inner world. If you go to Exodus chapter 33, Exodus chapter 33, and one of the things you've got to know is that you can't develop theology out of uh, you can't develop theology out of a particular story in, in the Old Testament. I see people take a story and they'll develop a theological doctrine out of it. You can't take a parable and make a theological doctrine out of that. Uh, and that's not what I'm trying to do. I'm just giving you something that's applicable to your life in this particular story. In Exodus chapter 33, um, Exodus chapter 33, I think it's 33. Um, let's see here. Exodus chapter, no, let's go to um, 34. I'm sorry, Exodus chapter 34, verse number 1. Go to Exodus chapter 34 and verse number 1. I want you to see something here that I think is... Uh, very, very, very important. Are you there at Exodus 34? And I want you to see something. Exodus 34, verse number 1. And the Lord said to Moses, Cut the two tablets of stone like the first one, and I will write on these tablets and the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. Now the very first thing that you see here, we're talking about how do I cultivate that inner world in me so I can better cope with the circumstances of life. I believe that this is very applicable to your practical Christian life. The first thing that Moses does, the Lord says to Moses, the very first thing I want you to do, I want you to cut two stones, two tablets of stone like the first one. He says, you messed up the first time. Okay? You messed up the first time. And you get a redo in your life. So the very first thing I want you to see in your life is that God will always give you a redo. Somebody say amen. There's all, you may have messed up, but there's always a redo. And God says, listen, I'm going to redo... I'm going to work in you to redo something that you did. Did you see that? Who smashed the tablets of stone the first time? Moses did it. And God is saying, listen, God is saying to Moses, Moses, I know you messed up the first time, but I'm going to give you a second chance to redo what you were supposed to do the first time. 
Can somebody say amen? And I believe that God is not a God of second chances because some of you have already blew your second chance. God is a God of another chance. He's a God of another chance. And and God is saying, Moses, I'm going to give you a chance to redo something that you did. You smashed those two stones, but we're going to do it over. I'm going to work through you to do it over. And that's so encouraging to me to know that sometimes I mess up. Sometimes I assume things. Sometimes I'm not thinking right. Sometimes I make make relationships bad. Sometimes I do things I shouldn't do. But how many knows that God says, I can redo what you did bad the first time? And what's interesting in this story is that God's saying, I'm not going to do it without you. I need you to cut the stone. Exodus 34, he says, And the Lord said to Moses, Cut the two tablets. You're going to have to be involved in this process. You're going to have to do the cutting. You're going to have to do the work. I I, I give you permission. I'm going to work through you. But there's some work that you've got to do. So number one, if you're going to cultivate the inner life, if you're going to have that attitude to deal with conflict and assumptions, number one, you've got to understand that you've got to have a time where you are prepared in the presence of God. So God can redo what you did wrong the first time. There's a preparation here. He prepared his heart. The Bible says, cut those tablets. There's something that you've got to do. Verse number two, he says, you've got to get up early in the morning. He says, you, I've got to come first here. Get up early in the morning and cut these stones. So if you want to cultivate that inner life, if you want to cultivate that spiritual life, number one, you've got to find time to allow God to redo some things in your life that you did wrong. And you've got to make some time for the Lord. He got up early in the morning and the Bible says, look at this. This is so awesome. When I read it, I was like, man, that's so good. Verse number three. And no man shall come up with you and let no man be seen throughout all of the mountain. Let neither their flocks nor their herds feed before the mountain. In other words, you know what the Lord says? Moses, I don't want you to bring anybody to the mountain. I just want to deal with you, me and you. You know what God is saying? Number one, I want to do something in your heart. I want to prepare your heart. I want to do something that you did. I want to redo something that you did. I want to do preparation. And now you've got separation. He says, I want you to come to the mountain by yourself. Listen, if you want to cultivate that inner life, you've got to realize it's not between you and somebody else. It's between you and God. And then you take care of the person. All right? It's, it's not about... It's you and God here taking care of some situations. Now, I will just say this. I think that doctrine, that, that my relationship with Jesus is, is very flawed in Christianity. And I have proof in Scripture it's very flawed. It's, you know, especially in the Protestant church, it's all about me and my relationship with Jesus. It's me and what the Holy Ghost tells me. You know, that, you can take that to the extreme and it can become very corrupt. Can I hear an amen? Jesus never said, my father... Jesus said, our Father. Because it's, it's about a community. It's about living together in a community. So, number one, he says, I want to do something in you. I want to redo something in you that you did wrong. And I'm so thankful that God has a desire to redo something in me that I did wrong. Can I hear an amen? I want to prepare your heart. Number two, there's separation. I want you to go to the mountain by yourself. Then I want you to look at verse number four. 
So he cut the two tablets, Exodus 34, verse 4. So he cut the two tablets of stone like the first one. Then Moses rose early in the morning and went up to Mount Sinai, and the Lord commanded him, and he took in his hand the two tablets of stone. Now, we read that scripture, but you don't understand what's happening here. Look at, look at Pastor Josh. You have preparation. I want to redo something in you that you did wrong. I want you to cut the stones. I want you to prepare your heart because I'm getting ready to write on the stone. Number two, I want you to separate yourself unto me. When you go to the mountain, I don't want no one to go with you. I want you to go by yourself. And number three, he says, I want you to put a little bit of effort into this thing. You climb the mountain and you climb with the two stones. That's work, ladies and gentlemen. He had to put a little bit of effort into it. So what am I saying? Your spiritual life will never be cultivated if you don't put a little bit of effort into it. If you expect somebody else to carry you, if you expect somebody else to do it, it will never be done. You've got to put effort into your spiritual life. It was Moses, Moses' self, that climbed the mountain with the two stones. Is there anybody in the building saying, Pastor, I agree with you, I've got to put effort into my spiritual life to put effort into it. So number one, God can redo what you did wrong. God can prepare your heart to write on your heart. Number two, there is separation and now there is effort. You've got to climb the mountain and you've got to climb it yourself. You can't climb it with anybody else and you've got to climb it with the two stones. You've got to put effort into this thing, Moses. The last, the last couple things, Moses climbs the mountain. All right? Verse number 5, and the Lord descended. Verse number 5, Exodus 34, verse 5, and the Lord descended in the cloud. You see, we want the Lord to descend upon us without any effort. We want revival, don't we? But have we put any effort? Is there any climate of the mountain? Or is, does Pastor Josh have to climb it all by myself and carry the tablets? We've got to put effort into this thing. He climbed the mountain. He climbed it with the tablets. Then the Lord descended on the mountain and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed by him and proclaimed, and the Lord, the Lord God was merciful and gracious, long-suffering, abounding in grace and truth, keeping mercy for thousands of forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So what's happening here? Moses listened to the Lord. He listened to the Lord. It's the Lord that's saying this. The Lord is merciful and gracious and abounding in grace and mercy. So you have preparation, you have separation, you have effort. And you have him listening, but not only do you have him listening, he's also observing the Lord. The Lord stood by him. Moses didn't open his mouth. He's observing the Lord. The Lord's talking to him. And then what does he do in verse 8? Verse 8, so Moses made haste and bowed his head to the earth and he worshipped. There is worship. You see, worship, listen to Pastor Josh, worship is the result of of you allowing the Spirit of God to prepare you, to separate you. Worship is the act of effort. 
Worship is the act of listening to the Lord. He bowed His head in haste and He worshiped the Lord. And isn't it amazing that He said in verse 9, then He said, if now I have found grace in Your sight, O Lord, let me, I pray. See what He says? That's how you do when you get in the presence of God. There is no pride in the presence of God. There's none of this, God, you owe me something. When you get in the presence of God, He says, if I found grace in Your sight, Lord, let this happen. And so, verse number 28. Go to verse number 28. So He was with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. He neither ate bread, He drank water, and He wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. So what happened was that as He was on the mountain listening to the Lord, the Lord began to write if you want God to speak to you, you you've got to learn that you've got to separate yourself. You've got to prepare your heart to the Lord. And yes, there's always a little work involved. You don't work to get God's grace. You don't work to get God's forgiveness. But in the physical flesh, there is work involved. We don't feel like praying. We don't feel like communion with God. There is exert energy. So, then verse 29, Now it was when Moses came down from the mountain of Sinai with the two tablets of testimony in Moses' hand when he came down from the mountain that Moses did not know that the skin of his face began to shine when he began to talk with them. Isn't it interesting that when you're in the presence of the Lord, you don't... Listen to Pastor Josh. When you get in the presence of the Lord, you don't even know the change that's happening in your life. Moses didn't even know what was going on. Moses didn't even know his face was shining like that. Because when you get in the presence of God and you, get, you let God change you, people will be the first to observe that something has changed in your life. You won't be the first one to observe. When the three Hebrew boys was in the fiery furnace, it wasn't the three Hebrew boys that said, there's a fourth man likened to the Son of God. Who was it? It was the king that looked into the furnace and what did the king observe? The king said, I threw in three, but there's another one in there likened to the Son of God. The three Hebrew boys didn't even know there was a fourth man in the furnace. Because when you get into the furnace of his love, you'll realize that you can't see him working, but everybody else can see the Lord working in your life. So you can't be discouraged by saying, I don't know whether God's working in my life. Sometimes you can't see God working in your lone life, but I promise you, people around you can see God working in your life. You can't be discouraged. It's kind of like gaining weight. Sometimes you don't even know you're gaining weight. Until somebody looks at you and says, does that shirt fit anymore? Well, <laughs> I just had to throw that in there. Praise the Lord. Can somebody say praise the Lord? So what are you saying, Pastor Josh? He come down off of the mountain. His face begin to shine. Is that right? Verse number 30. And so when Moses, so when Moses and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face began to shine and they were afraid to come near him. And then Moses called to him, and Aaron and all the children of Israel, and they returned to him. And Moses began to talk with them. And afterwards the children of Israel came near, and he gave them the commandments of the Lord as spoken with Mount Sinai. Listen, ladies and gentlemen. Listen. 
Look at verse 33. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, they put a veil on his face. Moses had the ability to commune with the people of God when his face was shining. That's what a true leader is. A true leader is somebody who has met with God. Listen, look, look at me. A true leader is somebody who can meet with God and at the same time have the ability to meet with people. This business of being so anointed that you can't talk to people is for the birds. You ever met a pastor? They just can't talk with no one because they're so anointed. So after church, they just got to have someone take them to the back room because they're so anointed, they don't have time to talk to you. And I understand, I understand as a pastor, you're worn out after you're preaching. And sometimes you can't think of everybody's problems and all that stuff. I understand that. But the issue is, is that a shepherd should always smell like sheep. Moses had the ability to commune with God and at the same time, he communed with his people. And isn't it amazing? Get this. He communed with the same people that made him mad a few chapters earlier. He was so mad at the same people that he took the tablets and broke it. But since he was in the presence of God, those people, those people didn't cause a reaction out of him anymore because this time Moses did it right. And how did Moses do it right? He spent time in the presence of God because it's only when you spend time in the presence of God that you can deal with people correctly. Why did Moses break the stones? He wasn't in the presence of God. He was frustrated with people. You become frustrated with people if you don't spend time in the presence of God. So now Moses comes down. He's looking at the people differently. and They're talking to him. And whenever, verse 34, and whenever Moses went to before the Lord to speak with him, he would take the veil off until it came out and he would come out and speak to the children of Israel whatever he had been commanded. And whenever the children of Israel saw the face of Moses, the skin of Moses' face began to shine. Then Moses would put the veil on his face until he went to speak with him. You see, Moses is the type of the Lord. The Lord rent the veil. And now we can go to the Lord directly at any time. The Lord doesn't have to wear a veil over His face for us to commune with Him. We can commune with the Lord at any time. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying we don't see things as they are. We see things as we are. We do not see things as they are. We see things as we are. How, how do I know? Moses was in the presence of God he saw things as he is. He was in the presence of God. He looked at people differently. The reason why people can't get along with people is because they they're not in the presence of God. Why people have attitudes and can't. You're not in the presence of God. That doesn't mean you reconcile with people because I don't believe the Scripture teaches you've got to reconcile with everybody. But I do teach, believe the Scripture teaches us that we should walk in love towards people. And when he got in the presence of God, it's kind of like it's kind of like um, it's kind of like a glow stick. You ever seen a glow stick? A glow stick don't shine until you break it, and it's only in your brokenness that you can really shine. It's only in your preparation and separation and your effort that God breaks you so you can really shine to His people. See, that's what God is trying to do. You become what you really behold. 
If you behold criticism, you become critical. If whatever you behold in life, you become the channel of that. Moses behold the Lord. So he began to behold the people differently. What about it? Acts chapter 4, verse 13. They behold Jesus, didn't they? After the resurrection, and they saw, the Bible says, they saw Him differently. Because whatever you behold, your words, your actions, your attitude reflect what you are beholding. God is the light, but you are the mirror. It's kind of like the moon. The moon only reflects the light of the sun. The moon has no light of its own. You are a moon, so to speak. You have no light of your own. You only reflect what the sun is giving you. Am I right about it? Now, I think we're supposed to have this big eclipse on August the 21st. And some preachers on TV want you to send their money because the end of the world's happening. Please, for God's sake, don't send your money to them. All right. And please, let's not make this super spiritual. It is just a dang eclipse. Can I hear an amen up in this church? I am so sick of wild, crazy Christians. They tried to get you with Y2K. I stored up my beanie weenies and Jesus didn't come back. But those prosperity preachers, they made a lot of money at Y2K, didn't they? And May 21st, you know what May 21st was? May 20th, it was the end of the world. Remember, Robert Camp uh, was camping, predicted the end of the world. You saw the vans throughout the world. The end of the world. May 20th. Did the end of the world happen? Absolutely not. So I just want you to be at rest on August the 21st and eat your beanie weenies and let that eclipse happen. Because Jesus said, no man knows when I'm going to return. So why don't we just rest in the love of God and whenever He returns, I'm going to be ready. And you know what? You say, well, Pastor, I don't believe you. Read the Bible, folks. Jesus said, why are you always asking for a sign? He said, I gave you a sign. It's the sign of Jonah. The sign of, of Jonah, He said. It was in the belly of the... So, so just be at ease, okay? So I think I took care of that problem tonight, amen? Is that all right? So you don't have to call Jim Baker and get one of those kits for the end of the world. Say, Pastor, do I believe Jesus is coming? Yes, I do. He, sh he can't come tonight. But I'm going, the Bible says, occupy till He comes. So guess what? I'm just going to continue to occupy. I'm still... Planning on getting married one day. I'm still going on with my life. And if Jesus should come, then praise the Lord. I'm going to be raptured in the air to meet Him in the air. And so shall we all be together in the clouds. Can somebody say Amen?